Okay, if you've got your program, open it up to the outline that's there in the middle. And um, I said that last week we started kind of with an overview. So this is a good week to dive in because you haven't missed anything yet, really. But I did set the foundation for the whole series last week. So your homework assignment is if you, if you missed that, go back this week early on and try to catch back up. There's no sense waiting till the end of the series and then catching up with number one, obviously. Um, but if you can catch up, that would be great for you. Over the next seven weeks, today and the next six weeks, actually, we're going to be looking at exploring how to know God's will and how to do God's will. Um, I started last week with this verse from John chapter 15, where Jesus says on the night that he was betrayed, the night before he went to the cross, Jesus said to his disciples, he's talking to his closest apostles, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? You can do nothing. Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. And where you're connected to me, you're connected to God's will. You're connected to God's plan. You're connected to God's purpose for how he wants you to live. But just like when a branch is disconnected from the vine, it withers and dies and is useless, if we're not connected to Jesus Christ, we will never find God's will for our life. If we're not connected to Jesus Christ, it is impossible for us to discover God's purpose and God's plan for the rest of our life. We have to be connected to Jesus, and that's why if you're here today and you're kind of at a crossroads or you need God's direction or you're at a fork in the road in your life or you're at one of those multiple choice to pick curtain A, B, C kind of a thing, if you need God's direction in your life, you're at the right place today. As you look at your notes, I want you to see the diagram down on the bottom of your notes, and I think we're going to put it on the the side screens there for you as well. Because we're going to keep coming back to this diagram every week during this series. Um, the seven realities of experiencing God is what we're looking at. And each week we're going to explore kind of a different biblical truth or biblical reality that's necessary for us to know God's will and to then do God's will for our life. We began this series last week <clears throat> with the foundation, as I said. And if you miss it, make sure you, you jump online and, and, uh, and up get up to date on that. Today I want to look at the first of the seven realities. It's number one there that says God's work. Um, Here's experiencing God reality number one. I want you to fill it in that God is always at work around me. Jennifer mentioned it. And it's happening whether we are aware of it or not. God is constantly at work around us. He always has been and he always will be. The problem is that most of the time, we just don't see it. We don't recognize where God's at working. Either we're not paying attention, or we don't know what to look for. But for whatever reason, we don't, we don't recognize what's going on or that it's going on. I call this spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness It's kind of like going through life without glasses or contacts. How many of you wear glasses or contacts? Anybody? Well, you know, the first time you put on glasses, it's like, whoa, what was I missing? 
I was in seventh grade when I found out that I needed glasses. I couldn't see before seventh grade either. I just didn't know. In fact, they tested us for our eyes, and they really didn't do, they didn't have such a great plan because they would line you up in a line. You were right behind the next person, and you'd go up, you put your little, your little face in a little viewfinder thing, and it was XLT314. And the next person would go XLT314, XLT314. Let me tell you, you hear that 30 times in a row? Even if you're half blind like me, you put your head down there, and guess what it looks like? XLT314. I passed every time power of suggestion right it wasn't until i was in the seventh grade when i was like the first one in line i guess and i'm like i can't see any of this and i got glasses and i kid you not just like many of you will testify i put on glasses once my eyes you know got undilated i'm like oh my gosh the trees have leaves and you knew the trees had leaves. You knew they were trees. You could see this big green blob up there. But those of us who need glasses, we had no idea. You could see every leaf on the tree. I remember being in the batter's box. I couldn't hit. In Little League, I wasn't any good. And, um, I mean, I, 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 could, I could play the field okay, but I couldn't hit very well. And um, coach would say stuff like, you know, tell me which way is the ball spinning, left or right. I got that right half the time. I guessed. I'm like, nobody could, I couldn't even see the ball that well, much less, which way is it spinning? Come, left, nope, try again, right, yeah, you got it, you know. <laughs> Baseball players, you know. Uh, so all of a sudden I could see, and Walsh could hit. Who knew? Well, I needed glasses. I couldn't see. It was all blurry, and when I got glasses, I was astounded at how much I had been missing up until that point. It's the same way when we go through life without spiritual sight or spiritual glasses. If you've ever had glasses or contacts, you know what I'm you know what I'm talking about. What if somehow we could put on spiritual glasses? What if somehow we could see the ways that God is constantly at work around us? What if we could see how he's touching our lives every single day and how he's constantly inviting us to join him? And where he's already at work. If that could happen, it would waken us up to a whole new, a whole new entire way of living, a whole new world. It would, it would, we'd be on a different plane. It, it would, it would come alive. And that's why this first reality is so important. Because if we could figure out how to look and see where God's at work around us, if we could put on spiritual glasses and see where He's at work, even right now, maybe we would see what we've been missing out on all this time. You know what you've been missing out on? You've been missing out on God's best for your life. So the question is, how can we, how can we recognize God at work around me? How can I join him in that? And to do that, we're going to look at something that happened in the life of a guy named Moses from the Old Testament. Moses, at this point in his life, he's kind of stuck in a rut Maybe maybe you feel that way. Let me let you know, if you don't know the story of Moses, you should go back and read it. By the way, I haven't mentioned it in a while. Have I mentioned lately we should read your Bible? You should read your Bible. Um, and and if, you, if you started reading your Bible at the beginning of the year, you probably read this, because just about everybody gets through Genesis and Exodus, and then it all falls apart when you get to Leviticus. Um, Nancy started Leviticus chapter 1, I think, this morning, and she was like, oh, Leviticus 1, 2, and 3. Yes, but... 
if you've never read this story, Moses at this point in his life, he's 80 years old. So I know some of you are thinking, oh, man, I wish I would have heard this in my 20s or my 30s. I'm in my 80s. I'm like coasting. This is like too late for me. No, 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 no. As long as you're in your 80s or below, this all applies to you. God still has a plan for you. Okay? Now, if we have a 90-year-old in our church, I don't know about him or her. But God's still not done with you even at 90. So how can I join God in his work? How can I put some spiritual glasses on? I want you to write down four, at least four A words. The first one I want you to write down is the word acknowledge. If I'm going to join God in his work around me, I have to acknowledge, will you fill that in? I have to acknowledge that God is at work around me. Because before I can see God at work, before I can join him in his plan, I have to first believe in my heart. I have to acknowledge that he's always at work. He's always at work around me. One thing that can keep us from experiencing God in our lives is a limited view of God. Some people have said a common way that some people have viewed God is they view him that God is like a clockmaker. Um, maybe you've heard this or maybe you've believed this in the past. And this view says that God made the world, yes, he's the creator, and that he wound up the world kind of like an old-fashioned clock, and then he set the world down once he wound it up, he set everything in motion, he created it, in, but after he created it and set it in motion, then God stepped back and he's been just an observer ever since, that he has been hands off ever since, that he's letting the world run on its own. He might have created the world, but he's distant and he's uncaring and he's uninvolved and he's not personal in any way. Listen, this is a very distorted view of God. God is not missing from the scene. He is constantly showing up around you each and every day. Right where you are. Like Jennifer said, you don't have to go all the way over. Overseas, he's in your family, in your car line. He's at your, on your company's cubicle floor or in their Zoom conferences. Every day, God is right where you are. Now, Moses, Moses lived with his family in the middle of nowhere. He's actually kind of in... In the wilderness. And he is a shepherd at 80 years old. And he found himself doing the same thing every day. The same way, day after day after day. But God was at work around Moses. And God was at work in a big, big way. Maybe you find yourself, you feel a little bit like Moses. Maybe you're just kind of going through the motions. It just feels like Groundhog Day to you. It's just like same thing every day. The pandemic has really accentuated this hasn't it? it's been like this is the longest two years of my life good grief same thing over and over and maybe you're like moses maybe you're even comfortable right now certainly living in the united states of america when you see what problems are on our our cable news feed that other people are going through in europe you kind of feel like man my problems are nothing you know yeah gas is high but that's nothing compared to what other people are going through. So you've, you've kind of got it. It's very comfortable for you. But maybe even though it's comfortable, you still feel like, you know, but my life's not really having that big of an impact. You're not really 
necessarily looking for God. You're not aware that God's working around you or that he even has a plan for your life. So we go to Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, and we're picking up in Moses' life kind of at the 80-year mark. He lived 40 years in Egypt. He lived 40 years outside of Egypt in the wilderness. And it says, one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. So his father-in-law is his boss. It's a comfortable job, and he's just taking care of the, the sheep. It says he, he led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush, and Moses stared in amazement, you think? Because though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. So Moses, he looks over and he sees this bush on fire, big enough surprise. But the bigger surprise is the bush is on fire and it's not burning up. It's like some of you with your gas fireplaces. You push a button, poof, the flames start going and those logs are burning, or so it seems. But those logs aren't even real. Those logs are made out of ceramic, aren't they? You have a fake fire. Well, actually, it's not a fake fire. It's real fire. Put your hand on that fake fire. You tell me it's fake. No, it's a real fire. It's just that the wood isn't being consumed. Now, imagine the first time somebody invented that, and they said, hey, I got this idea. What if we, you know, people were like, oh, how did that, you know, that, that's incredible. This is 3,500 years ago. 3,500 years ago, Moses is staring at this, this bush, but it's not ceramic. It's wood. It's made out of, it, it, it's alive, and it's burning, but it's not being consumed. It's not burning up. Quite an entrance God makes, right? He appears to Moses in a burning bush, but it's not burning up. He grabs Moses' attention. I want you to notice, though, what Moses was doing when God appears to him. What was Moses doing? He's tending the sheep for his father-in-law. He's doing his job. In most cases, God reveals his will to those who are already being faithful where they are. Those who are faithfully doing what God has put in front of them already. Here's the truth. God isn't going to bless us with more in the future if we're not faithful with the little things that he's put in front of us. So what does he put in front of you? Maybe it's your kids he's put in front of you. Maybe it's your marriage he's put in front of you. Maybe it's your relationships that he's already put in front of you. Maybe it's the opportunities you already have to serve that he's put in front of you. And sometimes we want to go, well, God, give me a bigger assignment. Give, give me something that matters. Give me, yeah, raising your kids don't matter, of course. You know, give me something that, that makes a difference. Having, having a godly marriage doesn't, doesn't make a difference, of course. And sometimes we, we stop looking at what's right in front of us. We're not faithful, and we're longing for God to use us in some other way or give us some other big plan. And God's like, no, no, no. I'm going to wait till you're faithful with what is in front of you first. If you want to know God's will for your life, do what's in front of you now. Be present and do that extraordinarily well because you're more likely to discover God's plan if you're doing right now faithfully what God's already asked you to do. Whatever God told you to do last, keep doing that until God gives you another assignment. So Moses is being faithful. 
So God gets Moses' attention. Look what he says in verse 7 and 8 of Exodus 3. He says, Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. He's talking about the Hebrews, the Israelites. They've been in captivity in Egypt now for almost 400 years. God says, so I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. God says, God, look what God doesn't say. God doesn't say, hey, Moses, I've been noticing what you've been doing. God doesn't say, hey, Moses, you know, I've noticed your goals for the future. And he didn't say, "Hey, hey, Moses, you know, I came to get in on your plans, Moses. Your plans seem so great. Moses, do you mind if I jump in on your plans and I can be a part of your plans, Moses? God didn't say that, did he? No, God tells Moses, hey, Moses, pay attention. I'm about to do something, and if you want to be a part of it, you need to listen. And this is the key because... We don't discover God's will for our life by asking God to bless our plans. That's humbling, as we talked about last week. But the truth is, often as Christians, this is what we do. We say, God, here's my plans. Will you bless them? Sometimes we even say, God, I need you to bless them. Sometimes people are like, what was that verse that TV evangelist told me to claim that I can make God bless them? You know, I, God, can, you need to do my bidding. I, I quoted your magic Bible verse. Oh, how arrogant are we sometimes, right? We're like, God, here's my plans. Here's my goals. Here's my path that I want to take, God. I need you to bless my plans. God, why don't you just jump on board with me? I got this thing rocking. No, the key to discovering God's plan and then joining him where he's working, we've got to center on him. Moses... Moses' plan was centered on Moses. God's plan was not centered on Moses. It was a much bigger plan than Moses. God was doing something way bigger. God was going to rescue the children of Israel, the Hebrews, from Egyptian captivity with or without Moses. God's plan doesn't depend on Moses, but God invited Moses to be part of the plan. He invited him to be a part of something much, much bigger than what he was doing. And to be used by God in an incredible way. And I think that God wants to invite us to be used by him in an incredible way in both big and in small ways that he's working in our life. If we will open our eyes, if we will put on our spiritual glasses and we will see where he's working around us all the time, we can see that we can be a part of something much bigger than just ourselves. In fact, leads us to the next step of how to discover and join God in his work around me. Number one, I have to acknowledge. Number two, I have to believe. I have to, number two, I have to accept that God wants to work through me. I acknowledge he's always at work around me. And now I have to accept, not only is God at work around me, he wants to work through me. It's not just that I believe that he's working around me. I have to believe that he actually wants to use me in that work. Now, this is a great mystery of the Christian faith because why in the world would God want to use us? Why would he want to use you and me? See, I know how messed up I am. I know the sins that I commit. I know the things that I do wrong. Why would God want to use me? And why would God want to use you? I read your Facebook feed. I know what you're up to. Why would God want to use you? 
It's funny how we just post it right out there. It's not like God needs me to work out his plans. God is God. He can do anything he wants without me and without you. But even though he doesn't need us, God loves us. And he invites us to be a part of what he's already doing. And he chooses to do it to work through us. You see, God created you, and God wants you to be a part of his plan to redeem a lost and broken world. He's got a plan to bring people back to himself. But he wants to use you to be a part of that. And when we accept that God wants to accomplish what he's doing through us, his work through us, then our life has all of a sudden, it's more than just about our job. It's more than just about making a living. It's more than just about, you know, doing what I want to do to be, to make myself try to be happy. Once we understand that, our life is going to make a lot more sense. It's like, bing, the light bulb, the spiritual light bulb goes on. And our life is going to have a lot more value. See, that's what Moses discovered. When, when Moses laid down Moses' plans and he encountered God at that, that burning bush, going back to the story, God said, this is what I'm doing, Moses. I'm going to rescue the Israelites. He says it in verse 10 and 11. He says, now go, Moses, go to Egypt for I'm sending you to Pharaoh, who, by the way, was the most powerful man on the planet at the time. You must lead my people of Israel out of Egypt. But Moses, look what it says. But Moses protested to God. Circle protested to God. Y'all know what that is. We do this, don't we? Basically, Moses is saying, I don't want to do this, God. I don't want to do what you've asked me to do. We're experts at protesting God. How many of you ever found yourself there, right? I mean, we pray it. You know, we start this series off with how many of us want to know God's will? In fact, we even pray this. And God, if you want to just tell me your will, God, I want to know what your will is. And then God says, okay, here's my will. And we're like, well, wait a minute. I don't want to do that. You know, I, I don't want to do that. that, that's, that we make excuses just like Moses made excuses. God says, Moses, I want you to be a part of my plans. I've got a role for you. But Moses is afraid. This isn't what Moses had planned for his life. Moses is like, look, I, I got, you know, I'm 80 years old. I've got my 401k all planned out. There's 401 sheep here. That's my 401k. As soon as Jethro's gone, I, you know, I've got a sustainable income coming in. You know, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit back and enjoy life. It's like the American dream. He had his life all planned out. And this sounds way too risky. You want me to go and tell the most powerful man on the planet, let my people go. No way, God. You got the wrong guy. So Moses comes up with a list of excuses of why he can't join God. And the list is a mile wide. Look at the first one. The first one is, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? That's what he said. He said, I can't do this. Who, who, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? This is the excuse of guilt. Earlier in Moses' life, he had done some things that he wasn't proud of. You can probably relate to that. You've probably done some things you weren't so proud of. You've deleted some of those strings from your, from your, your timeline. If we let the baggage of our past, you know, come with us into the future, it can keep us from missing God's plan, God's best for our life, from experiencing his will. 
So this wasn't Moses' only excuse. Second excuse was, who am I to lead the people? This is the excuse of insecurity. Moses says, listen, God, I, I'm, I'm a nobody. I, I'm a screw-up. I, I, I'm, I'm just a shepherd in the middle of, of the wilderness out here. I can't possibly lead these people out of Egypt. Guilt and insecurity. There's a third excuse. Moses says, these are all, by the way, these are all verses in this passage. If you go and, and read Exodus chapter 3, it's right there. He says, who, who shall I say is sending me? This is the excuse of no authority. Moses is saying, look, who should I say is, is sending me? I don't have authority to go stand in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh just doesn't see anybody. You can't even get an appointment with him unless you are somebody. There's a lot of other people, but I'm not going to get in to see him. Guilt, insecurity, no authority. Next excuse was, what if they won't believe me? He's talking about the children of Israel. What if they won't believe me? This is the excuse of failure. Moses is afraid that he'd be laughed at, that Pharaoh would laugh at him, that the people would laugh at him, that he'd be a laughing stock. Nobody's going to listen. The next excuse is, I'm not very good with words. This is the excuse of lack of training. Do you know that Moses had a stuttering problem? God chooses a man with a stuttering problem to be his spokesman to the world's most powerful man on the planet. That's what God did. God uses broken people. That's why he'll use you. Your life is a mess. You're broken. You, 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 you have, you know, your, your life looks like a bad country song. You know, everybody in your dog died. You know, you wrecked your pickup truck. You lost your whatever. God will use you. Now, here's the thing. God will use, if you're not perfect, God can use you. Now, if you're perfect, God can't use you until he breaks you from your pride and your arrogance because you're not really perfect. And he will use you, but it'll be after that, once he humbles you. Moses' last excuse, he finally says, Lord, please send anyone else. God knocks away all the excuses, and he's like, God, just send somebody else but me. This is the excuse of comfort. In an act of final desperation, Moses is like, God, look, let me just be honest with you. I just don't want to, I don't want to do this. Will you just send somebody else? Now, Moses may have been tending sheep, same thing, day after day, no excitement. But, hey, no excitement? It's kind of comfortable. No excitement, no pressure on him. Not much is expected of him. It's a lot easier tending sheep in the wilderness than going back and confronting Pharaoh in Egypt and leading 100,000 murmuring, malcontented people. You keep reading through Exodus. Even Moses is like, why did you give me these people? So Moses has a lot of excuses. Maybe you feel that way about some of the people you lead. Moses has a lot of excuses, but the question we should be asking is that, man, Moses, golly, he's just like excuse after excuse after excuse. He's like a teenager, you know. The question we should be asking is, what's my excuse? What is your excuse? What excuse do you keep throwing up in God's face as to why you can't do what God's asking you to do? Or why your plans can't be interrupted. Because I know, I, God, look, I am so important, and my plans are so important, I just don't have time to be interrupted by you. What's your excuse for not being able to join God in the work around you? Stop, stop hiding. Stop 
sitting on the sideline making excuses because God wants to use you if you'll trust him. In fact, if you'll trust God, he will give you the desires of your heart and the power to do his will. If you don't believe me, it's in Philippians 2.13. For God is working in you. Circle working. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. It begins with acknowledging that God is constantly at work around me and then accepting the fact that God wants to use me in that work. And then this next one is an important question to ask. That's the word I want you to write down. Write down the word ask. I ask, where does God want to use me? Where does God want to use me? Another dangerous prayer to pray. Those of you who feel like, man, God never answers my prayers. Maybe you're not asking the right questions. After God appears to Moses, he invites him to be a part of this bigger plan, and Moses has to wrestle with this question. It says in verse 18, so Moses went back home. Here's how Moses responds after wrestling. He says, Moses went back home to Jethro, his father-in-law. says, please let me return to my relatives in Egypt, Moses said. So he finally runs out of excuses. He goes home and he tells his family, pack your bags, we're going to Egypt. God has a plan. God interrupts Moses' plans. He interrupts Moses' life. And God says, Moses, I want to use you in Egypt. You're going to lead my people out of slavery. Now, Moses, at this point, he could have ignored God. He could have said, I'm not going. But I want you to think about what would have happened to Moses if he had done that, if he ignored God. God was still going to do his work. God was still going to deliver the Israelites from the Egyptians. But think about what Moses would have missed. That was 3,500 years ago since Moses was alive. And today we're still talking about him. We'd be talking about somebody else. Moses' life changed the course of history because he was willing to be interrupted by God. He allowed God to interrupt his plans. He had some excuses, but finally he relented. And I know we say, well, yeah, but if I knew God was going to use me in a big way like that, I'd agree. I'd follow him. I'd say yes to God. Moses didn't know what the next 40 years of his life was going to. God didn't say, and I'm going to use you for the next 40 years. God just said, come and follow me. Like Moses, God interrupts our everyday lives. And he says to us, I want to use you. The question is, how do we respond? How do we respond to that? Do we say, God, where do you want to use me? Or do we flip that around? Are we always asking God? Sometimes, because sometimes this is what we do. Instead of saying, God, where do we want to use? Where do you want to use me? What we really are saying is, God, here's where I want to use you. God, come here. Here's how I want to use you. Which do you do? Do you say, God, where do you want to use me? Or do you say, Hey, God. Here's where I want to use you. I need you. I need to use you in my finances. I need you to help my budget. God, I, I need to use you in, in, in this relationship. I need to, God, I need you to solve my problem, the problem I created. You know, I, God, come here. Here's how I want to use you. I've got this plan, God. I, I, I've got this project I'm working on at work, God. I've got this relationship. God, I need you to bless it. I need you to fix this. I need you to solve this for me. It, it's not about 
me adjusting my life to you, God. I need you to adjust your plans to my plans because I got this thing rocking. I, I know what I'm doing. My, my whole life history proves how good I am at this God thing. I think one of the reasons we don't experience God more in our daily life is because we start with the wrong question. We really start with the wrong person. Instead of saying, God, what can you do for me? We should be saying, God, I'm available. What do you want? What can I do for you? So we pray and we ask God, instead of saying, hey, God, this is the door I need you to open. This is the path I need you to bless. And there's nothing wrong with planning for the future. But we need to ask God, we need to involve him in our plan. It's just like James, the brother of Jesus, writes in the book of James. We talked about this when we were going through James verse by verse um, last year, the year before. Nothing wrong with dreaming dreams. Nothing wrong with making plans. Nothing wrong with talking about the future. But you've got to plan, you've got to ask God into your planning. What is his plan? Look what James 4, verse 13 and 15 and verse 17 says. It says, look here, you who say to, today or tomorrow we're going to go to a certain town and we'll stay there for a year. Now, he's not saying don't plan for the future or that making plans is out of bounds. But look how he frames it. He says, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is gone like the morning fog. It's here for a little while and then it's gone. The fog this morning was so thick and then like in five minutes it just all disappeared. It was clear as a... Clears the bell. In other words, he's saying you can make plans, but you have no certainty about what it's going to be like tomorrow or a year from now. Just like your pastor's been telling you for over two years, God's the only one who knows the future. Then James writes, he says, what you ought to say, instead of saying, look, we're going to go over here and stay for a year, he says, what you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. We make our plans, but God is the one who directs our steps. We dream big dreams, but if we really want to know God, if we want to live God's best for our life, it begins by asking God, God, what are your dreams? God, what is your plan for my life? And lay down, I lay down my plans, and I lay down my dreams, and I pick up God's plans, and I pick up God's God, what are your dreams and your plans? You do that by saying, God, how do you want to use me? Maybe God, maybe it's not in a big, big way. He's not going to say, I want you to go leave my children out of Israel. Maybe he's just going to say, no, no, no. I got a big enough task for you, Jerry. How about, how about you just focus on your, your wife and your kids? Maybe he's saying that to you. Maybe God wants you to spend more time with your spouse or your kids. and he want, Maybe he wants you to be the spiritual leader of your family and bring them to church. I, you know, for, for some of you, maybe he's telling you, hey, time to get back to church. I mean, I'm glad you're tuning in online, and it's a great convenience. For the, but if your kids aren't sitting on your lap and listening to every word I say, they're missing out. Because your kids should be over there in kids' zone, or they should be in the middle school jiving around and learning about Jesus. So they should be in the high schoolers out there in the portable. There's about 20 of them out there. And they're talking about real-life stuff and studying God's Word and how to apply it to their lives. And, and don't let the pandemic get you out of the ha- so out of the habit of church that your third grader becomes a 
10th or 11th grader that you bring back here one day at 16 and 17 and says, can you straighten my kid out? And I'm going to be going, yeah, we, did, we would have done that every Wednesday night if you had brought him here. We would have done that every Sunday if you had brought him here. It's not too late, but, man, we got a lot of catching up to do. Those of you who are bringing your kids every Wednesday night, those of you who are bringing your kids every Sunday, I just want to commend you. This is where they're going to develop the habits of a small group and serving and praying and hearing from God. They're going to develop the habits that are going to last them for the next 70 years in their life. It's all right here, but you've got to bring them. And by the way, if you bring them every single week, you won't have to drag them here. They'll drag you here. There's so much fun going on in those areas. But maybe that's the task that God's calling you is, hey, I need you to be a spiritual leader. And look, it's safe on campus, okay? You just need to come back. Glad you're tuning in. But your kids are missing out. Maybe it's like you need to ask God, how do you want to use me in my church? How do you want to use, use me at SEC? We've got 18 people going through class 301 today. They're all saying, how do I find my shape? How do I find my unique place where I can plug in and I can make a difference in the body of Christ? We've still got four or five extra spots available. If you want to jump into that, um, you can do that today. How can I use my gifts to serve others and to serve God? If you haven't gotten plugged in like you could or like you should, those are the next steps. Listen, you don't have to lead the children of Israel out of, out of Egypt to do God's will. You just have to be willing to say to God, God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? So he'll show you. So how can I join God in his work if I've acknowledged that God is already at work and I've accepted that God might use me and I've asked God, where do you want to use me? Then the final step that we can learn from the life of Moses, the other A word is adjust. I adjust my life from me-centered, me-centered to God-centered. Adjust my life from me-centered to God-centered. Look, this is the hardest one in our culture especially. Moses began to live out God's will for his life when Moses realized it wasn't all about Moses. It wasn't about his plans. It was about God. It was about God's plans. And when Moses realized, hey, I'm not the center of the universe, for some of us, that's a big adjustment. Because if we were honest with ourselves, the way we live our lives is we are the center of the universe. And God revolves around us. And everybody else in our family revolves around us. If we were honest. I'm not saying you need to be honest. I mean, it is church, so it might be good to be honest. But if you ever decide to be honest about that, you probably will be confronted with that. Wow, most of my prayers, most of my thoughts, most of my actions are really about me being on the throne of my life. Not about God. Not about Jesus being at the center. And it's hard because we live in such a me-centered society. Have it your way. You deserve a break today, right? I mean, I don't want to pick on Burger King and McDonald's. It's, it's every, but Chick-fil-A is closed today. So, so listen, you want to have it your way? You will not end up with a whopper, okay? You will end up with a whomper of a life. If you are your God, if you are the center of your existence, 
And it's hard because everything we see from Madison Avenue, everything we see on our devices and our screens, it's all about you, 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 and me, 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 me. It's all, it's like, it's like our, our world is just a, a world full of toddlers. I want my way. I want it my way now. And as long as we live a me-centered life, focusing on what we want, what we need, what makes us happy, doing the things that we want to do when we want to do it, we're never going to discover God's will for our life. We're going to miss out on his plan. Philippians 1.22 says, For me, living means living for Christ. If I live, I could do more fruitful work for Christ. Ultimately, we have to, we have to decide. What's going to be at the center of my life? Will it be my plans? That's what we've got to say. Will it be our plans, our desires? Will it be only the things that we care about? Or will it be God? Will it be his plans and the things that God cares about? This is the paradox of the, Christ, of the, of the human ex, existence. We think in our mind, we think, if I just do what I want in the moment, that's what's going to make me happy. That's what's going to make me fulfilled in life is I do what I want to do. It's the American dream. We think that is seeing clearly. It's actually spiritual blindness. Like I was talking about. If we could just for a moment put on spiritual glasses. If we could really put Jesus at the center of our life like we sang about. If we could see things from God's perspective, then we see what's really there, and we discover, man, God's at work all around me. I have been missing this. When you have spiritual glasses and you put it on for the first time, it's like, oh, man, I had no idea I could live on this plane. I had no idea that I could recognize God working around me and that he's inviting me to be and this gives my life so much more significance. I had no idea I could live at, at this level. Now, you may be saying to me, well, Jerry, that sounds really good, but I don't experience God that way. My faith is dull. It's like I'm overwhelmed with work and family and school and the pandemic and the de- demands of life. I'm not living the way you just described. I don't even know how to live that way. Well, could it be the reason why you're not experiencing God right now is because... You're not paying attention to where he's at work. You don't have spiritual glasses to put on. You, could it be that you're too busy? That you see your plans and your schedule is so important that you can't be interrupted by God. Could it be you haven't even really put Jesus at the center of your life? And because of that, you're not even wearing spiritual glasses. In the end, it comes down to one thing. It comes down to the word trust. Who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust yourself and your plans? Or are you willing to trust God? Are you willing to lay down your plans and trust the creator of the universe that he has a plan? And he has the very best plans for you. Let's pray and ask him to help us with that. As we bow our heads, maybe right now you're, you're like many people. You're, you're living life. You're existing. But you're also kind of stuck. Maybe you're in a comfort zone, but in your heart, you know that you're not living life to the fullest. 
you know that your life isn't as significant as it could be, as it really should be. And you don't know what God wants you to do with your life, but you're pretty sure you're not living all of that out right now. If that's you, if that relates to you, you're, you're right where Moses was. His life was comfortable, but he knew that God had something more for him. And that was the day that he put on his spiritual glasses. He encountered God. And then he said yes to him, and it changed his life forever. For you, maybe today's that day. Would you just say, would you just pray this prayer in your heart and in your mind? Just say, God, I know that you're at work around me every day. I know. Just pray that. God, I know you're at work around me every day. I know. I believe that, and God, I believe you want to use me. And it may not be to rescue people from captivity in, in Egypt, but God, I know you have a plan for me. And I know you want me to be a part of something that's bigger than myself. And then pray this prayer. Dangerous prayer. God, where do you want to use me? Pray that prayer in your heart. I dare you. God, where do you want to use me? God, I'm tired of living just with, with me at the center. You're at the center. You be at the center of my life. I'm putting on my spiritual glasses. I want to see where you're at work. And I want to join you. Now, if you're here today and you want to connect with God's plan and purpose for your life and you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, remember that opening verse where I said, where Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. When the branch is separated from the vine, it's dead and useless. Today maybe is your day to connect with Jesus Christ for the first time. If, if you're ready to do that in your heart, and in your mind, you just pray this prayer and say, God, I believe in you. Say, God, I believe in you. And I believe that Jesus died for my sins. And I want to connect to you, God, through your son, Jesus. So, Jesus, come into my life, please. Please forgive me of my sins. I want to follow you from now on, Jesus. And if you pray that prayer, God says, that Jesus will come into your life and he'll forgive you of your sins and he will give you eternal life. Heavenly Father, I, I love you and I want to thank you for the life of Moses. I thank you that he wasn't perfect, that just like us, he was afraid sometimes and he made excuses. But God, help us to learn from him so that we can say yes to you just like he said yes to you. And we can live the best possible life just like he did. Father, we love you. Let me pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.